Hello and welcome to the Deep 2 NBA podcast. My name's Sean and joining me as always is the one and only Dante Boffer, Mr. Boffer, my man. How are we? In the same room, Sean? In the same room, which is technically illegal until 11.59 tonight, isn't Don't it? Don't rat us out on our own <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, fuck, that's a really bad way to start, isn't it? Welcome to my room, welcome to the podcast. Good to be back together. Um, Sounds like it's been approximately one year since we've been in the same room. I forgot what you look like. Oh, yeah. Good one. Yeah, I think it's been approximately 10 episodes, I'd say. No, I don't know. No, no. no. Five, maybe. Yeah, maybe five. Five, maybe six. <laughs> and you were out injured uh, with this last week, so it's been two weeks since we last recorded. Um, and for those who haven't seen the article that Dante wrote in his downtime on his perfect team, um, mm. following up the perfect team series by myself and Lucas... I liken that to Jordan's flu game in written content. So Dante's tonsillitis game is greater than Jordan's flu game. This is the this is the written equivalent of sixty five points. Like I've, I've I've bumped Jordan, I bumped him. Read it. It's on the um, it's on the blog now. And Sean did some very pretty illustrations. But like you mentioned before, we've missed a lot of stuff not recording last week, and there's been a kind of like a bit of an earthquake of NBA news as things have started to like shake into place and people are now like seriously, things are going from <laughs> concepts to making plans. <laughs> One of which is the idea of the NBA playing in a bubble mm. and bringing all the playoff teams into a secure, safe location, playing all the games with all yeah. the staff. So um, one place that has been suggested is um, the Walt Disney Resort in uh, Orlando, and another place that's been suggested is Las Vegas, where they play the Summer League. Las Vegas are that clean place where no one gets in <laughs> any infections. <laughs> yeah, it's... Do you like the idea of playing in a bubble? Not really. But then I was listening to, like, just... When I hear the of the idea, um, my instinct is not really. But then I was listening to someone, I can't remember who, talk about it, and they were like, it could be like summer league like vegas mm. summer league where there's like multiple games on every day and it's kind of like a round robin yeah like a yeah. round robin with like a fun atmosphere and like everyone's in the same place and it would come at you really thick and fast and yeah. you need you know it, it could be cool but i don't like it as much as i like there being no virus and us just finishing the season yeah well i was listening to i'm gonna get his name right uh not that it's hard to pronounce that i forgot what it was it is an indiana beat writer for the indiana star it was jay michael um and he opened the podcast uh, when he was speaking with nate duncan and straight up said uh, i think they should just punt the season this mm. is coming from an indiana perspective where maybe he's better off going into next season with a bit of a young team but he said no matter what happens uh let's say we play the whole season and milwaukee wins right People are going to say, well, you know, that's not like LeBron beating Golden State. That's, you know, that Asterix title where he beat the Clippers when, you know, these guys hadn't played in two weeks or something, or these guys hadn't trained with an actual basketball court. Um, so, you know, if, if we're going to look back on this regardless and say, well, look, they won, but, or they did this, but, or they they were going to get 74 wins, but <clears throat> should we just punt the rest of the season and say, look, bad luck, guys, let's just move on to the next year? Or do we have to have a champion just because we have to have a champion? Would you rather go on Basketball Reference 10 years from now and see Milwaukee Bucks, Asterix, or just 
No, there was a world pandemic. Does there need to be an asterisk, though? Or will the asterisk just there be... There probably won't be an asterisk. If you could ensure that everyone was coming back on level, like on a level playing field, that no one had had more time to prepare than anybody else and that yeah. everyone was kind of like, you know, the competition was still fair, yeah. then I don't see why you wouldn't do it. And it just, like, if you don't finish the season and there's no champion, like, can you award an MVP? Can you do awards? Can you do All-NBA or does everything? Because I think if you were going to not finish the season, like if you were going to punt on the cha- on the playoffs yeah. and not finish the season, I don't think you can award an MVP and I don't think you can do All-NBA because then you could say, well, like, you know, you don't you don't base it off of 64 games or yeah. 67 games or whatever each team's played. Like, if you don't finish the season, you don't finish the season. Yeah. But that's no fun. Yeah. No, one, no one wants, like... I'm not. I don't really like buying into like the. It's good for the population psyche that we do this. Like I think that's just like corporate greed dressed up as like <laughs> trying to look, yeah, yeah. trying to look good. But um, no one, I think, in the NBA or NBA fans really like wants it, them to just say like, you know what, fuck it, let's just move on and we'll just plan for next season. Yeah, but the later we push it back and the later if we um and are about doing the bubble, not that it's our decision, but the later we do this, we're gonna we're sort of encroaching on next season. So would you let's say we play the rest of this and we have a playoffs with seven game series, maybe the the first round's five five games again, just like what it used to be. Um and then we do that but then it sort of creeps into the next season and then next season, which is looking like it's gonna start later they miss the first 20 games of the year and start on Christmas, for example. Mm. So then you finish this season, but then you've impacted on the next season. Is that another issue that we should worry well, about? I think... So the discussion about that is twofold. Is that one, there's talk that the NBA had been wanting to push the season back, the season start date back anyway, just so that you minimise the amount of time that they compete with the NFL. Mm. And so they push it back they put they push the start date back to when the NFL playoffs start, and then by the time the NBA season is in full swing, the NFL's done, and mm. the NBA has in theory a higher market share. So they want that's potentially like a it's something that they want to do anyway, and this could provide the impetus to do that. But then the other thing to think about is, uh, you know, you could just met why not try that next season has been like a 72 game season mm. you know where mm. I think if they do the playoffs it'll be in a sh- it'll be in a condensed time frame mm. and they won't have quite so long an off season and they won't like be quite so leisurely in terms of <laughs> just ignore that <laughs> <laughs> they won't be quite so leisurely in terms of the spacing of off season yeah. events like the lottery and the draft and you know even training camp like yeah. if you condensed the season by 10 games and then you condensed everything in the off season by 25% you could probably like you know put it in put yeah. it in and just do it you yeah. know and you you would have to say when looking at you know if you don't play the um the full regular season slate either this year or next year, you will have to put an asterisk in and say, like, you know, when talking yeah. about the best regular season team of yeah, all time. 73 like, wins and stuff. Yeah, because uh, Milwaukee was, like, on pace. That would have to be the asterisk. But then yeah. I don't think you'd need to put an asterisk on, well, the, on the champion, you know. Yeah, well, this is going to be a good test case because the NBA <coughs> and Adam Silver has flirted with shortening the, the length of the season. That's one thing that he said when he came in as commissioner. Um, and this is sort of go- this sort of goes back to the argument that you have with the shortened season because if you shorten the season, 
well, then Golden State has the record for the rest of history. And how much do you factor in a, a 70% win percentage compared to someone having the same or higher win percentage in a smaller amount of games? And that's that's sort of personal preference because that's something that's been debated about a lot. But going back to this bubble point, what happens with the players' families? Because I was talking about this with a friend of mine and a friend who isn't, uh, isn't into basketball at all and is actually sitting in the next room. And her immediate thought was, well, what about their families? And I'm like, oh, I guess they could all just come or maybe they could not come. And she goes, well, that sucks because all these families are going to get like distance and in, inside this bubble away from their friends and families or, you know, adversely, the players are going to get locked off from their friends and families. And then I'm, I'm a bit like, look, some of these guys are making $30 million a year. I think you could just say no to your family for a couple of months. And that's also me just saying like, yeah, stuff here. But, you know, there is a human element here where what if these guys, what if one of these guys don't see their family for a while or what if one of the trainers or one of the coaches or anyone just can't do that because some people, you know, you can imagine it could be really hard on people. Is that going to be another variable that we have to worry about? Well, I think you'd need to bring the families in. Yeah. Because asking someone to stay away from their family for two months is pretty unreasonable. Where do you draw the line? Like second cousin? Or? <laughs> no, no, it would be immediate family. It would be like your wife and your kids. Like, I don't even think you'd need to bring like mums in unless... unless <laughs> You know, some people, some some NBA players are really close with their mums, like yeah. have like a you know like, <laughs> a yeah. different relationship with their mums than what we do. Um, some of them like live, you know, like live with their mum, like yeah, that yeah. that sort of thing. Um, so, I think um, unless they were like carers, unless the that the the mum was like dependent, yeah. or the, that the parents like dependent, they probably wouldn't be included. But if you had a if you had a partner and kids. Um, or even just a partner, I think they should definitely be allowed to come in. Because like, think about like the, you know, like if you're um, if when you're home, like obviously you're on the road quite a bit. Yeah. But like you know, take like Jason Tatum, like someone who's young. Yeah. But he's got kids. Mm. Like Jason Tatum, it's not really fair the NBA to be like Jason Tatum. You're coming away for two months, and then Jason Tatum has to be like to his wife, "Hey, I can't help you raise these two young kids at all. Mm. Like you, you're on your own for two months." Like. Mm. It's not really fair. And, like, LeBron James probably wouldn't want to leave his kids for two months. And well, just, yeah, normal humans wouldn't. Yeah, not exa- well, exactly what I'm saying, though. I just, yeah. But, I, I mean, like, at, like, you know, like, at the top of the league, you've got a guy who probably wouldn't want to leave his kids. And then, you know, scattered throughout the league, like, you know, Jason Tatum's not a nobody, but he's, like, much lower down the totem pole. But you've even got young players like him who are not going to want to leave their mm. family. So I think you need to bring them into the bubble and you'd also need to afford the same thing to team staff, so trainers and yeah. you know anyone who's going to come into the bubble. Like if you're, what you if know, you're a media guy? Well, if you're, then <laughs> same thing. Like you know, you can't just yeah, you can't just say to people we are going to make you spend two months away from your family in pursuit of yeah. Like Adam Silver's like boot camp guys. Yeah, like. boot camp. Like we 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 need to hit certain corporate profits, so you have to stay away from your family for two months. Everyone it bring won't. twenty dollars. We're going to go to Coles on the Saturday. <laughs> So I think that yeah, if the bubble is going to happen, they need to um make it a big bubble. Make it a big bubble, yeah. That's that's the thing that I think. What's the reason why I don't think this is going to happen? Because you've got such a big bubble, which is fair enough. We've sort of said that this needs to happen, and for the bubble to work, you need to constantly be testing these guys, constantly testing, testing, testing. That obviously takes testing kits, and if you're going to have yes, all these franchises and all this this whole league has a shit ton of money, and they could buy all the tests they want. 
but as soon there were there were problems with limited tests and limited uh, limited masks uh, in early in coronavirus. I don't know if it's in America. It's still a problem in America. Yeah. So if you're going to have this league, uh, you know, cordon off everyone, have a bubble, and just get these tests in and out, in and out, so that we here in Melbourne can watch a basketball game. They're going to have to have really, really good PR staff, or just everyone's just going to have to turn a blind eye to the fact that there are probably people in need who are getting overstepped by this big body corporate that is just saying, we need the test because we need to test all our players so they can play a basketball game, which very hard optics. Yeah, well, I mean, I think they'd be need to be pretty... If they were going to do that, they'd need to be pretty confident that they could rely on the goodwill of people being like, oh, like, I'm so glad sports back. The the <laughs> NFL had their, um, their draft yeah. uh, about a month no, it was probably about like three weeks ago. I think it was like yeah. April, um, towards the end of April, and they were criticised really heavily um, in, from some areas of sports media for going ahead with the draft. It was obviously like not in person, like an event. They did it virtually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and and just like you know the broadcast was you know, beamed out everywhere. Mm. But they copped a lot of flack initially from people being like you like this is irresponsible like you should just cancel it and delay it postpone it um but then when it happened and in the lead up to it and in the days after the overwhelming sentiment from people was like oh my god i'm just so happy that like you know it felt normal that i had sport i had something that i could you know the sports journalists are saying there's something for me to write about i can write Mm -hmm. an article like top five best picks the people who are watching the draft are like oh my god i can really you know like look at is my team going to be good like just it felt really good to have sport so they Mm -hmm. need to be the nba would need to be thinking that they could have a reaction similar to that where people would overlook the fact that there are people dying and in america it's quite grim like there are people really like in you know in victoria at least we've like largely stemmed the flow of new infections and the ones that are are, you know people are getting medical treatment in america people um people are dying at rates that are you know daily rates that are be like you know 10 times bigger than our country's entire death toll so Mm -hmm. for them it's a huge problem and it would be like you said it would be really bad optics that you know the nba is letting people you know who need potentially need tests um yeah not get them but then that feeds into a whole discussion about like um you know the american medical system um and how they you know is the nba responsible for the american medical system's inability to get people the tests well that's why that's why people tune into our podcast because they want to hear about uh the healthcare debate so (laughs) dante my next question is (laughs) now let's move on um just uh you know rolling on from there uh, according to shams trania of the athletic again um the nba has duly postponed the draft lottery and combine and later on i mean we'll just talk about it now that the nba is looking to do the combine on through virtually so if some of these players i'm thinking more about the international players if these guys are in germany for example <coughs> killian hayes <laughs> i don't know where he is at the moment but he yeah. played in germany last season so um these guys probably won't be able to fly internationally for the foreseeable future maybe mm. for the rest of the year mm. so this might be their only chance to actually sit down play basketball in a gym in front of these guys that might become their boss um and i would sell my kidney to be on that zoom call mm. <laughs> how interesting would that price be? a kidney it is a pricey kidney um or a cheap kidney you tell me pricey i just wonder so is there going to need to be like an nba approved 
personnel there to like make sure that the drills it's, it's are the right size um, darn rings. What if yeah? What if I don't know? Like what if Tony Thompson lives in the middle of nowhere in North Dakota and he can't like get to a yeah can't get to a basketball court and can't get like all the cones and can't get yeah the NBA is gonna need to send them all the all their um, care packages care packages all the equipment it's I mean it sounds like it's a, gonna be like a pretty big undertaking but by postponing it obviously they give themselves a lot of time to figure out how that can actually um, happen and mm. Kevin O'Connor reported that they're looking to move the draft to yeah August or September so that gives them you know three to four months. Um, to figure out the logistics. You'd think that the combine would need to happen probably like maybe like six weeks before the draft so mm. the teams have enough time to really dig in and find out if this, uh, you know, if this 44-inch vertical really changes the team's grade from second round to late first. Well, that's something that I've heard Sam Vassini talk about in the last couple of weeks. He's a guy who covers the draft for The Athletic and he was saying a lot of the times you've got everyone watches the games you've watched all the tape you've watched every single minute of basketball this guy plays but all of a sudden Marquise Chris comes into a workout with the Suns (laughs) he comes into a workout with the Suns and you know everyone gets hot every now and again and he just has an incredible workout and then the the team goes well that's incredible like this is who he is we just couldn't see it on the tape we needed to see him in person and sometimes that can skew the skew the way that uh, teams view players just because for an hour that they're actually sitting there in front of them they played really well or sometimes the the workouts don't even matter I think it was Stephen Curry who famously declined to work out for the Golden State Warriors and they picked him anyway because they thought he was the best player available he was um, Johnny Flynn wasn't oh, Johnny <laughs> Flynn was already gone too. Rick Rubio so <laughs> This this actually might be a blessing in disguise if the combine isn't you know if Johnny or Tony Thompson in North Dakota can't mm. actually get like a full workout in these teams who were looking at a draft that was already all over the place you know it's if there's no number one in Zion and there's no March Madness darling in uh in John Morant who's a, a clear number two like people already didn't know who was going to be the number one pick and the fact that views aren't going to be skewed probably by some incredible workout because there's probably not going to be an incredible workout might actually be good for players and it'd be funny if we actually see a more return to normal and just see maybe one through 15 just be like a slow rise into players becoming good that's probably not going to happen there's no way to measure this at all but Mm. that's a silver lining for a team who i go for who has a high pick i'm happy I think, yeah, I think the draft will probably be more of a crapshoot than usual in a draft where... It's already crap It's already shoot. a bit of a crapshoot, at least at the top. Mm. At least, you know, like, as much as we desperately crave, like, the ability to be told, this is the best guy, so that we can all be like, ooh, fire up the hype machine. Mm. This time it's like, you know, some people are telling you that the best guy is this guy from France that you've never even heard of, let alone seen. Or they're saying it's Anthony Edwards, this guy from Georgia, who you're like, oh, Georgia. Like, Georgia has a basketball team? <laughs> Why not? Americans don't know that Georgia has a basketball team. They think Georgia's just a football school. So it's going to be, um, yeah, I think it's going to be a, a crapshoot draft regardless. Um, but yeah, this definitely is not going to help. Although, you know what? 
just to kind of contradict everything that I just said, <laughs> NBA, like you mentioned with Marquise Chris, NBA teams are pretty good at having all of the information and making fucking dumb decisions anyway. Yeah. So maybe this protects them from themselves. Especially teams that have had Marquise Chris until this season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm, I'm getting like I'm getting like 2016, 17 flashbacks. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's move on then. So this is a quote from John Wall uh, on the All the Smoke podcast. All the Smoke podcast has actually been... Uh, pumping out the episodes with guests left, right, and center. Which yeah, they've is... been getting good guests, haven't <laughs> uh, So that is with Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson. Um, and John Wall quotes Damn near the whole five years, I was an all star. I played with two bone spurs in my uh, knee and heel. People don't know that. They ain't even got the best of John Wall. They've got a clip of him. So is there more John Wall to come? Dante, just tell me why not. <laughs> no, I think John Wall is going to go back to being 20 and 10. I, I genuinely do think that. Yeah. I also just think that the Wizards are going to go back to winning 45 games and losing in the first round every yeah. year. Uh, That's fair With enough. regards to John Wall on this specific quote, John Wall is so vocal and so in your face and so protective of his game <laughs> and sensitive to any perceived criticism. I find it pretty interesting that he has waited to this date to tell us that he had bone spurs when he was an all-star. Like, he didn't tell us in the moment, I'm playing with bone spurs. Or he like has been out of basketball for over a year and he's now only just been like, you know, I'm going to tell you that I got bone spurs. Seems like a, yeah, seem, the, the timing seems suspect. If you had bone spurs, I feel like John Wall was the exact type of player who'd be like, don't judge me on this, I've got bone spurs. Would you know what if you do? That's fair enough. That sounds really painful. But I just I resent the idea that John Wall can like you know use it in posterity and just be like, hey, you don't know, I was severely injured for that entire time. It's like that basketball player who blames the win. Yeah, legit. Yeah, 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 yeah legit. Um, I still believe in him, but yeah, we've we've gone through that before. Next up from Mark Berman uh, and the New York Post is that Brooklyn and Houston are joining the Knicks in pursuit of Tom Thibodeau. Um, what I can't understand is that Houston already has one of the best coaches in the league in Mike D'Antoni. Why are they jumping in the race to get a coach who just coached poorly in his last stop? I sense that this has more to do with Tillman Fatita. Dirty fingers. <laughs> Dirty fingers Tillman. <laughs> than it does with Daryl Morey. Uh, doesn't seem like a Daryl Morey yeah, guy. Yeah, doesn't does sound it? like a Daryl Morey guy. A, a defensive-minded guy who hasn't proven that he can coach his teams to defend in the last in his last stop. Yeah. <laughs> and who hasn't proven that he can run a league average offense in like six years. Yeah. And depending on the day, Kyrie Irving either wants a ex-player in Tyron Lue or he doesn't want an ex-player and he wants just a new guy to come in. And, you know, you're just flipping a coin. <laughs> when, if, if, if Kyrie Irving is deluded enough to convince himself that he wants Tom Thibodeau, <laughs> the first day of practice when Tom Thibodeau is on the sideline yelling, ice, 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 and Kyrie's like, bro, I just want to play <laughs> basketball. I'm an artist. He's going to be like, fuck, what have I done? Yeah. That is a relationship, Kyrie Irving and Tom Thibodeau, that would end in fucking disaster. <laughs> The, the Brooklyn Nets would probably cease to be an organization after that <laughs> after that partnership. It's such a shame that they've come so far. Obviously, they've got Kevin Durant coming back and he's one of the best players in the world, but, you know, we're sort of writing him off before it's even happened yeah. because they've, yeah, they've done everything right up until 
just the winning bit when it comes to they've got the two players on the team, but then they got DeAndre Jordan. They had a young coach who was proven to be good, and then they fired him. So, yeah, maybe it's, true. Yeah, as a franchise. The, I think the thing that we've we've skipped over so far is what happens if he goes to the Knicks. If he goes to the Knicks, RJ Barrett, his career's done. Oh, are we talking about who are we talking about? Tom Tommy Thibodeau. Yeah. Nah, you can't say that. Yeah. Why? I mean, like, you have to have a career to begin out. <laughs> <laughs> Can I just say one thing that we haven't got written down in the news, but um, New York Knicks, they are refunding uh, season tickets for you know the rest of the season. They've just mm. pretty much said, look, the season's not going to happen, or if it does, here's your money back. Mm. Uh, and also included in that, or some, there's some way that this happens, but they're giving out free RJ Barrett jerseys with those season ticket holders. Means that they had a lot of them left their life. How lucky are they? <laughs> oh, I wish I was a season ticket holder now. Um, I don't know about Tom Tibbs. Like, he. I know about him. I mean, yeah, I, I just don't really want to put too much stock in this because, like, yeah, he might go to the Knicks, but I don't want to say that RJ Barrett's career is going to. What? Sorry. Well, yeah. Why do you say that? I have no faith in Tom Thibodeau being able to nurture young, young players like, in yeah, being Cat good. And Wiggins. Yeah. The only young talent he's ever nurtured was Derrick Rose. And I'm going to go out and them and say that Derrick Rose's emergence in Chicago was more about transcendent talent rather than scheme or coaching fit. So I really... I, I want to see RJ have the best chance that he can to succeed. That's, Not, a, that's a big limb to go out on. Yeah, I want to see it. I mean, <laughs> I love... I love big, um, big guards like mm. that. They're big bodied, big bootied guards. <laughs> I want to see him. I want to see if basically I want to see if he's good. I mm. don't want to like. I'm not like an RJ fan or whatever. I just want to see if he actually is good. Yeah, you want to give him a want, chance. I don't want to. I don't want to say in three years like, oh, like yeah, he never had a chance. He's with Tom Thibodeau. Mm. You know, yeah, or true. Kevin Knox. Imagine Kevin Knox would. Tom Thibodeau. Kevin Knox will be out of the league next year. Tom Thibodeau goes Just to the Just imagine Knicks. Kevin Knox. <laughs> yeah, wow. Uh, all right, let's move on to the next one. Uh, Monsieur Tony Parkour has <laughs> bought a French pro A men's and women's basketball club in, I don't know if this is an acronym, but Asvel, uh, and it is a town just outside of Lyon. I'm not going to try and pronounce it, but that is from Mark Spears of The Undefeated. And when he bought the team, literally sitting on the podium talking about buying this French team, he said that his goal is to own an NBA team one day. And that's like, cool, sick. That's a good goal to have. Why are you saying that on the introductory press conference to this team that you just bought that isn't an NBA team? That's like, you've just been hired for a new job and you're sitting there on day one saying, cool, cool. So I'll, um, can't wait to get to the next place, but this is, this is just a stepping stone. You, you wait to see me in 10 years. It's, yeah. Here. When you put it like that, it is. <laughs> it does seem a bit weird. Like the Asvel Leon Villeurban basketball team yeah, is probably you're a bigger like man than I. <laughs> is probably like oh, so you don't really care about us at all. <laughs> but you know what? They that team at the very at the very least, even if Tony is an absentee owner trying to get to the NBA, trying to make it to the big leagues, that team is going to have you know like a hundred times more money than it had before. <laughs> Cool. That's the just just to go along with the healthcare debate. There's the economics. Hundred <laughs> times more money. So next up, <laughs> God, this 
yeah, it's pretty straightforward, but the salary cap is guaranteed to be lowered um, as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. This is from Mark Berman of the New York Post. Um, it was projected to be just uh, just above $109 million, um, and every NBA team is operating as such. This is obviously, you know, this is not going to happen because coronavirus, but something, uh, something that would have been interesting to know is that, um, actually, sorry, yeah, I'll just move on to that next one. So the NBA and the NBA Players Association has decided to extend the deadline for the next CBA um, and waiting to see the financial impact, impacts of COVID. That's from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, but something that I was not excited, but excited to see heading into this, what the next, what next year's salary would look like is how much, how much lower the number would be um, as a result of the China Daryl Morey debate. Because it seems like ages ago, but China still isn't streaming Houston Rockets games, and they've cut back on the amount of games that they're streaming because of the Daryl Morey tweet. Um, so you know, it's a bit like. You can't tell if you overseasons your stake if you burnt the stake. So the number's going to be completely low, and a lot of that or some of that is probably going to be attributed to China and Del Mori. We just don't know what fraction of the number lower is. So bummer. <laughs> we know that's been bad, and this is just getting from bad to worse. But at least Adam Silver and his bunch of PR guys will be able to cover it up. Say, look, the numbers down because of COVID. I, I don't know what that China debacle is. We've moved on. Yeah, it's a good. Um, it's a good cover yeah. uh, in a PR sense that they can just yeah like, sleep it under the Post rug and, over. and move on. But in, it, it is interesting with regards to what the projected cap is going to be, because uh, like max deals among um, other deals which are less relevant. Um, than the max, they're, they're calculated as a percentage of the cap. So when you hear Ben Simmons signs five-year 170 or whatever and ended up being, I think mm-hmm. it was five-year 170 mm-hmm. um, million dollar deal, that, um, or maybe it was five-year 140. Anyway, when you hear Ben Simmons signs his five-year his five year deal, the number that you hear is just, you know, is, is the percentage of the cap at 22.5% for Ben Simmons' rookie max. Mm-hmm. And he puts that on, you know, like puts that onto um, what's the what, what the cap is. The cap's 120, so it's 22.5 percent of 120. But if yeah. the cap's only 105, the season that that max kicks in, which for players like um, Ben Simmons and Pascal Siakam, that's this year. Yeah, their their numbers are going to be lower if they if they don't do something to artificially boost it. So they might not end up seeing, you know, you know a five year whatever it ends up being. They might only end up seeing. A five-year, you know, they might Benjamin's might say like a five-year, one forty-five or something, rather than a five-year one seventy. I reckon we should look into that and get back to that because I think once you ink it, like with Steph Curry's deal or John Wall's deal, once you ink it, that is the percentage of the cap for the for the length of the contract, right? Mm. And it's got you know, whatever, 8% raises or raises or um, 4% raises on top of the number that you initially inked. And that is to go along with, like you're assuming <coughs> with with the raise in the contract, you're assuming that the player is going to get better in inverted commas and the, uh, the salary cap is going to go up. So I don't know if, like, yes, going into the next season is Ben Simmons' number going to be lower because he hasn't actually started it yet. But with John Wall, his number that he originally started on was a percentage of that cap, and it's grown since there. I don't know if John Wall's is going to... God, we should, you know, should have done a bit of homework, but this is juicy shit. If John Wall's number is at X, 
and the salary cap is at X plus 10, but the salary cap's fallen to X minus 10, and you've got John Wall still operating on the same number as the old cap, mm. is all of a sudden you've got less than 109 million, but instead of John Wall having 30% of that, because the cap's gone down by whatever the number is, then he's going to have like 50% of that. Mm. Is that because that could really hamper some teams? And <clears throat> does the does the NBA give out sort of care packages there and do they give out, you know, sort of a mini JobKeeper stimulus boost and say, well, look, if you've got this, we're just going to ignore that number. They'll calculate the difference somehow. Or going off that, are there some teams that were, you know, some teams are just writing the tax, like the Denver Nuggets, mm. and they knew this number was, this was going to be at 109 and they had their salary, like their team salary just below that. All of a sudden that number's come out from below them and they're a tax team where they didn't want to be a tax team. There'll so, be a lot of teams that will be tax teams if they didn't want to be when they didn't want to be a tax so team. So, and especially as Golden State, um, when they did the whole D'Angelo Russell trade, one reason they attached Jacob Evans and Amari Spellman, and it made me sad that Amari Spellman was going, is because that was a tax move, so they could duck under the tax this year, and then next year they wouldn't be hard capped, right? So, is the NBA going to sort of help these teams out and say, look, well, you technically got under the number, you did good, but you know, from circumstances outside of your control, you're now doing the thing that you didn't want to do. How do they help those teams? And is there going to be a bias in the way they help they help those teams? Because you just, yeah, what if, what if one team who's in the tax right now says, oh, well, we had this deal in the workings to trade X player and we were going to get under the salary. Where's our help? Because mm. like now that trade just isn't there anymore. Mm. So it'll like there's so many questions. Yeah, I think regardless of what happens, regardless of what direction the NBA chooses to go, there'll need to be either like a smoothing of the um, luxury tax numbers so that like every like not everyone who everyone just doesn't get you know like pushed into the luxury tax by this, mm-hmm. and you know the teams that aren't making money at, at the moment like would have to then pay luxury tax, which would could potentially cripple them. Like you hate to talk about multi-billion dollar owners being potentially crippled but like it's not it's not good and there's no way that the NBA would, would do that so they're going to need to do some creative accounting mm. um, but yeah making sure that it's fair and administered it equally and yeah I mean I think it's going to be it's going to be a real it's going to be a real challenge um, but we don't quite know how they're going to play it because they're keeping everything so close to their vest at the moment mm. Aside from the reportings of a few intrepid journalists, all you're hearing is that they're um, prepared for everything, that they've got a game plan for every eventuality, which is mm. good. But you know, some of us, give us a bit of a, give, give us a juicy nugget <laughs> at Adam Silver. All right, so moving on to other juicy nuggets. Um, Sean Marion, according to Michael Lee of The Athletic in an interview, said that Sean Marion, he believes he is not in the Hall of Fame because of, quote, I know it's a political thing, unquote. And we talked about this point before we went on air, and you and I both said, what's the political thing? Yeah. Dante, have we got any uh, progression with that, <laughs> with that story? I went for a bit of a sleuth to see if I could figure out exactly what the politics that's keeping Sean Marion out of the league are. In the interview, he refu- well didn't refuse, but he um, didn't exactly position himself as a fountain of information uh, when asked to elaborate on what the, p- the political aspects were. He said, it's a lot more other stuff going on. So, <laughs> Sean Marion, uh, you can't shut him up. <laughs> you can't. He, he just keeps giving you information. Um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I think Sean Marion should be in the Hall of Fame. He has a very interesting statistical case, and I think um, with four four All Star appearances and two All NBA um, spots, a key role on a championship team, and he was like one of the you know, one of the best players on the Seven Seconds or Less Suns, which is like a seminal like if you had to rank like the top ten most important teams in NBA history, mm-hmm. he'd probably rank like the O three to O eight Suns. Um, somewhere in the latter half of that, or even just the team that beat LeBron the first time as well, like first time in Miami. That's that's a big team as well to be on. Well, yeah, exactly. That Mavs team, like maybe the most unlikely champion of all time. Yeah. He, um, one thing that's been pointed out since this um, interview uh, with Michael Lee aired was that he's um, one of four players in NBA history to tally 17,000 points, 9,000 boards, and then 1,500 steals with 1,000 blocks. The other three are Hakeem Olajuwon, Carl Malone, and Kevin Garnett. But as we talked about before, uh, Hakeem Olajuwon has two MVPs, two chips, and two defensive player of the years. Carl Malone has uh, an MVP and two finals appearances, and Kevin Garnett has an MVP and a chip. <laughs> So <laughs> it's hard to argue when you know you, you put his name into rarefied air, but that's the sort of stat that you bring up when you're talking yeah. about like how good of a season Devin Booker had in his rookie yeah, year. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not. It's not. You kind of do the person a disservice by putting them in 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 that rarefied air because it only serves to you know, <laughs> show you how vastly different kind of yeah. players they are. Anyway, Sean Marion would be like one of the worst players in there. Hall of Fame but like there's definitely worse players in there and I think even though his like accolades don't like add up like they don't stack up and you're like oh you can't keep him out uh, he he played for two really important teams and he was an important player like anyone mm-hmm. who was uh, who followed the NBA in that time period would tell you that he was a really important player so Sean Marion to the Hall of Fame one day please <laughs> All right, and then the last bit of the news, which came out today, was seven foot two Filipino centre Kai Soto will be signing with the G League, according to Shams Trainer of the Athletic, um, and he was considered a four-star prospect heading into this collegiate season. And like many of his other college colleagues, <laughs> I don't know how good is that yeah. he will be joining the G League um, in a move that has you know, been happening quite a bit. Started a bit with Lamelo Ball and RJ Hampton heading to the NBL last season and now uh, Jalen Green, who from most places you look at is projected to go number one in the 2021 draft. Isaiah Todd, the other guys in the G League, is less so. But, you know, just these big names, these big recruits, and even the biggest recruit is headed to a place that isn't college. And I think that's good. I think if these guys can get into an actual NBA fitness and training program, they can work out with older people. Like, I don't just mean old men, but they're working out with a lot of guys in the G League who are an NBA level. They're just not there skill-wise, maybe, but maybe they are. Like, you'll be playing, like, 28-year-olds as opposed to... Yeah, like, men. Yeah, and then, I mean, I'm just going to handball to you when I say, like, as opposed to when... John Morant plays X team in some X conference because you're the college guy. Yeah, well, I mean, John Morant played um, in from Murray State, who played in the Mountain West. So the majority of the conference games that John Morant plays are probably not. There's probably not an NBA player on the other team. And even if you go play at Duke, 
you know, I think there's like another 10 teams in the ACC. So you play them all twice, which meant there's 20 games that you play in the ACC. Most teams play about 34 games. Mm. Um, they probably play like five or six against like other good teams in different conferences, but that leaves like eight, um, eight-ish, yeah, eight-ish teams every season where you, there's no, you know, like they're, they're from a shitty conference and there's no NBA talent. And the teams on the bottom, at the bottom of the ACC, which is like a good, it's a really good conference. Like the teams in there is like Louisville and um, Virginia and North Carolina, Duke. Mm. It's really good teams, like a couple of national championships in the last decade mm. in there. The the worst team in the NBA, in the ACC, like Wake Forest plays in the ACC. Like the last time Wake Forest had an NBA player was Chris Paul. It wasn't Chris Paul, but you know, it was a couple. Of years, it was a couple of years ago, you know. So you're getting two games against Wake Forest, and you know, against a whole bunch of different teams in the ACC where there's no NBA talent. So it's not like they're yeah they're bypassing this great competition pool for an unproven avenue, like you know. Yeah, you know? and they're getting paid, which is important. Something yeah. they're going to get paid an actual contract. So Wake Forest most recent player I can see is John Collins. Yeah, cool. There is only six, seven players. And then before John Collins, there wasn't anyone <coughs> drafted since Alfred Camino. So, you know, every <laughs> every player who's played Wake Forest um, since since then has been playing against a below average. walked away happier. Yeah, a below average outfit. All right, let's move on to the mailbag. Mailbag! Talk, give us the introduction. Mailbag. Does the mailbag need any introduction? No, it doesn't. We have asked our fantastic listeners to send us questions <laughs> and we're going to answer them. Yeah. Is that a good intro? Yeah, that's a great intro. And thank you to everyone who sent in questions. And uh, Yeah, cheers heaps, cuz. We hope you satisfy your craving for an answer. Yeah, well, these are the like the definitive answers. The cream of so, the crop. You know. <coughs> NBA teams, keep your ears open. I'm about to lay down what should happen. All right, let's kick things off with a question from friend of the pod, Alessio, who asks... Should there be a 7-10 to 10 seed playing to the playoffs if the final games of the season are cancelled? So this would basically pit um, the 7 seed through 10 seed against each other in a single game elimination, kind of like round robin, mm-hmm. to see who gets the 8 seed mm-hmm. and the 7 seed. Um, and the idea behind it is basically this season, give the Pelicans a chance to make the playoffs because <laughs> at the moment the Grizzlies sneak in, but if the if there was a 7-10, to 10, the Pelicans <coughs> and Zion Williamson would have a chance to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. It'd be a lot of fun. It would be heaps of fun, but <coughs> when we talk about this, we immediately say, wow, Zion versus Luca, Luca versus Jamarant. Portland are a bit banged up, but, you know, at least you've got some star pair in Portland. Like, that's amazing. That's heaps of fun. Um, and that is amazing. That would be heaps of fun. Yeah. But you look to the other conference, yeah. and it's like, man, sign me up for fucking Brooklyn, who doesn't give a shit, and Kevin yeah. Durant says he's not going to play, versus Orlando, versus Washington, which are fun, versus Charlotte. And it's pretty depressing. Let's say you do do a round robin, and you play to these teams once or twice, and in those two games... Uh, Terry Rozier or Devontae Graham just gets hot and Don- Terry Devon- Rozier gets hot sorry yeah not likely. <laughs> excuse not me not likely uh, PJ Washington or Devontae <laughs> Graham get hot and then you know it's just two games you can win two games yeah so exactly They let's say they beat Brooklyn um, what would you do if one of the lower seeds in this PJ Washington led Charlotte team beat Brooklyn and they steal their playoff spot for example 
do Charlotte miss out on a lottery pick and Brooklyn get a better trade asset to trade for um, whichever stars available and when they want to upgrade their roster? Or how do you do it seeding-wise? Do, do New Orleans keep their pick even if they make the playoffs? No, I think you treat it as if Charlotte made the playoffs and New Orleans made the playoffs and they would get a pick outside the lottery accordingly. So can teams tank? Because, you know... Uh, Brooklyn. This is yeah, Brooklyn. Yeah, in theory, in theory, you could tank, but this the the benefit of this is that this probably isn't the draft to tank from the sixteenth pick to the thirteenth well, pick. Well, yeah. I think you know. Let's say we are going to do a seven to ten playoff play in. Would you? I I was thinking of this question as come in and sorry. I was thinking of this question as the, is this is this a solution for the next 20 years I was looking at it like that because it has been talked about yeah I mean it would be fun it'd definitely be fun but like I, I mean I don't see why you should say that numbers matter and your record matters only up to a certain point and not even in terms of playoff seating, but in terms of 11 through 15 your number has stratified you as a certain type of team your record has stratified you as a certain type of team and that's where you deserve to be. But specifically for 10 through 7, that's different and you just need to get in this one oddly specific band to be able to give yourself a chance to like jump up or whatever. It just seems like it kind of flies in the face of all the principles. I think the solution would to satisfy, um, you know, to satisfy what the NBA, what what people are really craving in like a, a tournament would just be for the NBA to go ahead with the much talked about but nothing ever done about mid-season tournament, mm. which uh, you know is a, is a, like a direct something directly taken from European soccer, mm. but that's really exciting because even in a season where like for example Manchester City are winning the Premier League, the FA Cup. Which is a, a, a you know a, a in in season single elimination. I know tournament. this now because I've been playing FIFA in quarantine. <laughs> you educated yourself. The FA Cup, which is yeah, like a you know has has five rounds and then you go through to the round of sixteen quarterfinals, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That offers you a, um, an outlet as a team, as a fan of a team who you know you maybe you're mid table or maybe you were expected to challenge for the title, but you're yeah. often, you're in fourth or fifth. Yeah. That offers you the ability to still kind of like get silverware. Yeah. And so like in a season, obviously like not a season like this where we've got a global pandemic influencing everything that happens. But like say look at Zion, like if this was just like a regular season and you had Zion missed the first half of the season, but the Pelicans had managed to stay alive. They were you know, 10th or 11th in, in the NBA standings, but they'd mm. managed to somehow make it through to like the, you know, the, the fourth round of the mid-season playoff or whatever, mm. the mid-season tournament. Then Zion comes healthy and it's like, oh, like can the Pelicans make a run at the Kobe Cup or whatever? <laughs> yeah. You know, that then that's exciting and you kind of fill the same role. But to, to do it to influence playoff standings as like a long-term thing, I think is just like kind of just like the suspension of logic for no real specific purpose. Do you, oh, do you disagree? Do you disagree? <laughs> no, I completely agree with you. Um, and when I read the question again, it says, should this happen for this season? That's uh, essentially what he's asking. Uh, It'd could, be fun though. I mean, like, like it would be... Like, you're only helping the West, really, because... Yeah, when, I mean, when the your East Phoenix, product would be... When your Phoenix Suns just missed the playoffs with 48 wins in, like, a stacked year... Don't remind me. Um, that, was, that was, like, quite BS, right? Yeah. And, you know... 
the one of the things that we remember about that team was that they were heaps of fun they were really fast two point guards it's awesome and it's like oh but they never made the playoffs like if you had actually made the playoffs and lost to Golden State or whoever it was in the first round the Spurs it's like well that's a bit of a like of course you weren't going to do anything but it's a bit like oh you know they got swept or something yeah. like that it's sort of rom- they like, it's romantic you... that you guys didn't make it and you were such a good team if you were like like I'm going to try and make a comparison here if you were say um, let's say like Minnesota you haven't made the playoffs in you made the playoffs once in 20 years yeah. since you know since KG left or whatever once in 15 years yeah. you're bad every single year it's not really realistic that you're going to have any playoff success at all. It's not even realistic that you'll make the playoffs. Um, compare them to Portsmouth, who uh, are a team now playing in Division <laughs> 3, but once upon a time were like a mainstay of the Premier League, but they didn't really, you know, like maybe they'd finish 14th one year and then maybe they'd jump up to 9th, but then yeah. the next year they were 14th again. Um, Portsmouth made the FA Cup final in 2010. They yeah. lost... But Portsmouth fans still remember that, and that's like the you know, the the biggest moment of their club's history. Like they're the Portsmouth fans at the pub talking about the 2010. Is that the one with the Netflix show? No, that's Sunderland. Oh. Sunderland till I die. Silly but, me. But um, and then on on you know vice versa like that. Um, so take an art, take someone like Arsenal. Okay. Um, who the comparison that I'll make is. Um, maybe like the Boston Celtics. So they're a team with a lot of history and they're one of like the most important teams in talking about the history of English football. Um, but they haven't really had any any success in the league for 10 to 15 years. Yeah. Um, they have won the FA Cup three times in the last 10 years. And Arsenal fans, you know, like that gives them some satisfaction to be able to say like, we, you know, we won the FA Cup this year, this year and this year. So, you know, the, the, the fan bases are still engaged and you still get that extra, um, that extra little, like, nibble, that extra bite at the apple, even though Arsenal, like, they want to win the league, but they finish fifth. Fuck, my Watford Hornets lost 5-0 last year. Yeah, that they did. sucks. They did. Manchester City ripped them apart. No way. Yeah. Was it... Did they play well before then? Well, they got to the final, Sean. But did, was, it like, was it like a little Cinderella story? No, nah, I mean to get to the final. I don't want to hear about it. <laughs> get to the final of the FA Cup, you have to string a couple of wins together against good good sides. You or can't... you just need Devonte Graham to get hot for two games. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you could say like you know this could be a situation where Charlotte has had nothing to talk about for ten years, and then they win the Kobe Cup, and it's like oh my god, do you remember when? And it was like hold the last two episodes of the last. Two episodes, right? <laughs> do you remember when Miles Bridges dropped forty four in the Kobe Cup final? <laughs> you know the the idea of a cup final is really really scintillating because I can tell you about. Did yeah, Drogba's goal against Portsmouth in the 2010 um, FA Cup final. Like, yeah. I can tell you about you know these crazy classic cup final moments. Yeah. Um, it's effectively like let's just add a game seven into the middle of the season. You know, yeah, like, yeah, instead yeah. of a band like LeBron James game seven 2016, it's like you know Carl Anthony Towns 55, 26, and 10 in the Kobe yeah. Cup final. Like, yeah. it'd, it'd be cool, and it would satisfy the idea of a, a plan. That's we kind of got sidetracked in the original <laughs> question, but sidetracked's good. All right, let's move on to the next question from uh, Natalie Radio Frequency. It's <laughs> an interesting name. Every single time I see Natalie RF, I think it means Radio Frequency. Interesting. What does she ask? She asks. What are your opinions on whether or not Marvin Bagley will be a part of the Kings' long-term plans? 
and what we think about how the whole situation has been dealt with. I think that he will be part of their long-term plan simply because he has to and he is going to uh, he's going to likely be one of those players that will live out the rest of his rookie contract because he's good enough to be on the team. He's going to get re-signed to an extension, this rookie extension, which is going to be about you know maximum five years. There's no reason not to extend him. He's not going to be. But what do you ex- what do you extend him at? Just something mid-tier, like maybe ten mil a year or something. But why like Dwayne Dedman money? I don't just think. To save I, don't face. Think, I don't think he'd take four years forty. Well, where, where else is he going to get more money? Like let's say he he'd was take a free the quali- agent. He'd take today. the. He'd take the Qualifying I, offer, I yeah. think he'd have a qualifying offer. And, and pull a nil on some well and then sign minimums for the yeah. rest of his life. Because the thing is, the Kings are kind of <laughs> fucked if they do, fucked if they don't. Because if Fuck, they... That's like their motto though, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if they don't... Um, if they don't... Trade him. Trade him. Then they're like <laughs> committing... They're committing to him and they're saying like, let's see what we've got here. If they do trade him now, they're trading him for pennies on the dollar of what they drafted him at. The number two overall pick and one pick ahead of <laughs> Luka fucking Doncic, I've got to say. Um, it's one the, pick behind DeAndre Ayton. Yeah. The, the, the bloke has pretty much played like 70 games over yeah. two seasons. And this season he broke his... I think he broke his hand and then he like hurt his knee and then he hurt his ankle. He played like... He played... Um, I think he played like six games this year, seven mm. games this year. Yeah, some revoltingly, uh, thir- yeah, thirteen games. So mm. he's played over two seasons. He's played seventy five games. So he's been available for less than half of the games. So the Kings are going into year three with the second overall pick. They don't know who the fuck he is. <laughs> yeah, they don't know how how what play style suits him. They don't even know what position he is. You don't know if he's a five or if he's a. Um, a four. He played most of his minutes as a, a four as a rookie, and almost all of his minutes as a five as a big di- uh, as because this year. Dwayne Dedman couldn't do it. Yeah, because well, Dwayne Dedman <laughs> couldn't do it. But the 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 numbers were bad this year with him at the five. Like yeah. obviously, it's only thirteen games, and, and he, he was, was injury ridden. So you kind of have to throw it out. But that's kind of the point: is that you're going into year three and you have no idea what this bloke's going to be. So at the end of year three, you're going to be giving him his his contract extension. I think just like so, he's not going to be as good as Luka Doncic. That's fair enough to say. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. That's not a hot take. But I think he can still be a good basketball player, and he's also fun to watch. Like some of those dunks in his rookie season were really, really fun. Yeah. So I think if you just sort of treat it as a sunk cost, and not that you just get rid of him for pennies on the dollar, that you look at it and say, like, look, you're not going to be your typical second overall pick. You're just going to be a good role player who can fill out his role. Yeah, but that that's fine because like look at look at Andrew Wiggins like he's not a superstar that everyone projected him to be, but if you're drafted Andrew Wiggins thirtieth, you'll be like that's pretty cool twenty. Yeah, points. but if you drafted Andrew Wiggins thirtieth, we'd be paying him thirty three million dollars a year. Well, that's not Golden State's fault. That's um, Minnesota's fault. Yeah, but, but that's what I mean. That's, that's what I'm saying. Like... If you can re-sign Marvin Bagley to a mid-tier contract, and you say, well, why would you do that? Well, just look at Neil and well, like you know that could be you. When... I think if. He has a good season next year. Like, I think if, if he has another season like his first two seasons where either he's injury-riddled or he plays like he played as a rookie and he just wasn't good, <laughs> I don't think they offer him an extension, which is kind of why I say they're fucked if they do and fucked if they don't. Because then you don't offer... Because if he's bad, you don't offer him an extension. But if he's even remotely good, you're going to jump on it and say, like, <laughs> we need to bring this guy back. But number two overall picks who rate themselves... And I don't know that he rates himself or whatever, but like, 
if if Bogey <laughs> if Bogey Bogdanovich signs like a eighteen million dollar per year deal with the Kings this off season, which seems like it could happen, yeah. Marvin Bagley's not taking four years forty in in a year's time. There's no way. So the Kings are going to be either like he's bad and let him go, and then it's a sunk cost on the pick because you fucked it up. Mm-hmm. Like you fucked it up royally, <laughs> <laughs> or he's he's okay and he shows that he's good. And instead of signing him to a four year ten, you sign him to you know like four year seventy because he's your yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. I, I get that. Um, I think they did a bit of a sneaky good thing here in trading for Jabari Parker because you speak about second overall picks that rate themselves yeah, and wow. so you've got Marvin Bagley walking around like he's the king yeah. turns around and there's Jabari Parker where it's like oh, try hard trust yeah. me try, <laughs> trust me try on defence like it's, it's good for you and he's like a little gremlin like he's like the bad guy in his head always telling him to work harder <laughs> this could be you look at me the bad guy in the bad guy in um, Jabari Parker's head never told him to work harder <laughs> alright second question from that uh, we've got do the do we think the 76ers will be keeping Horford uh, citing his inability to gel with the team Dante I think that they will keep Horford but not uh, not necessarily because they want to yeah. if you gave them an amnesty clause I think they'd use it or if you said that like Team X wants to take Horford I think they'd just handball it they'd be like you take it mini mini take it we'll take whatever fucking salary you can cobble mm-hmm. together because he, he he just has looked so old yeah. this season and and in a way that you didn't really really think that was going to happen um, there's also fit issues because yes he's, he's declining and this could be his big drop off it doesn't help that he's playing next to Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons well I mean, yeah but I mean that was the 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 theory was that he could operate away from the basket effectively enough to give space to work with Embiid and then he could anchor bench units mm. um and in the games that Embiid missed, Horford, you know, Horford didn't have like this this big role. Like, you know, the the seventy sixes were good when Embiid was out, but that was because they were playing with Simmons as like a Simmons small ball great, five. Yeah. It wasn't because it was Simmons with Horford on the floor. Like Horford, they're you know on offense, they're um, zero point seven points per one hundred possessions. Uh, worse with him on the floor, which isn't huge, but it's not um, it's not anywhere near good. And it really, really confirms the eye test um, when you're watching it. It just looks so gummy. Mm. Their whole team looks gummy. Horford can't really shoot threes yeah. um, at like a good enough clip. And Bede can't really shoot threes at a good enough clip where you, you know, yeah, constantly... His bark's better than his bite. Yeah, his bark's better than his bite. Simmons doesn't shoot threes. So all of a sudden you're talking about you've got you know the only two shooters on the court when you start is Tobias Harris and Josh Richardson both of whom are good to great three point shooters but not like defense warping yeah yeah uh, um, I, I agree with you I think the Sixers are going to be keeping him um, and if you gave him truth serum they'd probably say yeah we'll get off him for anything but if a team you mentioned Minnesota says oh yeah we want them and then um, Philly are just like well look he's got three years left on his contract you just cobble together whatever salary like we'll take it like it's gotten to the point where they would literally just salary dump in for spare parts, but yeah. usually a salary dump comes with attaching assets to a player. So if you look through Philly's assets at the moment, they have a handful of seconds, and I think there's like six second round picks, and four second round picks just got them Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson. So if if you're going to gauge value around that, you've got Glenn Robinson and Alec Burks plus two second round picks, 
Um, Zaya Smith, who we still haven't seen much of, Sheikh Milton, who was almost instrumental on the team, <laughs> and Matisse Tybal, who it doesn't look like they're going to move him, but mm. he's one of those young players on a rookie-scale contract who could garner some attention. But if you're trading away Al Horford with Sheikh Milton or Matisse Tybal attached to him, like, well, what are you getting back spare parts? Like the John Salmon's Rudy Gay deal with, with Toronto, like you're just going to get back crap for crap, but your crap's different. I think the, the idea behind if they could get off the rest of his contract, which is after this season, three years, $80 million. So that's quite a lot. <laughs> the idea would be that if they can clear that cut space and not take on any long-term money, then you can go back to the free agent world um, yeah. in, a, in a season time. If they, who's, they, who's doing that? There's no, six, there's no process sixes who are just willing to take it it's true unless you you can trade a pick from like 2024 yeah but look I'm I'm scared that Golden I mean, State's just done that you, you would need it would need to be someone who like could convince themselves that they had the environment where Horford could survive or not only not only survive because you're not trading for a 34 year old big man to, for him to survive but for him to thrive yeah I don't know who that team is. I can't even thinking of... You would need to be someone who's in playoff contention or close enough that they would be able to... Well, the last three teams that just traded away a pick that was like past 2023 was Houston to get Russell Westbrook. Um, uh, what's it called? The Clippers to get Paul George from um, OKC and then Golden State to get a sign-and-trade with, <coughs> with D'Angelo Russell. Mm. Um, that wasn't actually an accidental cough, but it, it really fit <laughs> well. So they're the sort of teams. You've got two teams that are hoping to be a title contender and one team that just saw a supreme value play in Golden State who just like turned nothing into something, mm. turned that into nothing again with Andrew mm. Wiggins. So like if Philly are going to attach one of these future, future picks, get off their guy, I don't see any of these teams that are either close to the top who want just an aging Horford to buff them up or one of these bad teams that can give them like process sixes can they get Drew Holiday or something I don't really see any of those teams out there that would actually help the sixes get better right now so the answer is he's going to stay but <laughs> no one's going to be happy about it and sadly this might be the end of the sixes like you know it's it's a bit blunt but championships are hard to get and especially when you've got LeBron being LeBron with Anthony Davis you've got the Clippers you've got Golden State that might be better yeah you've got all these teams and you've just made a huge misstep with your yeah. biggest asset the last your... team to win a championship with you know like a max level a max salary player who effectively was like their seventh best player was no... 2016 Cavs <laughs> Kevin Love. No, that's so harsh. <laughs> the correct answer is no team ever. Like it's not possible to have your, you know, like you know, someone earning twenty eight, yeah. twenty eight milli, you and he's effectively giving you not a lot. You, like you just can't. It's not possible in terms of roster construction. And it's not like this team is loaded with like rookie contract um, role players. Matisse Tybal was good, but was probably overrated as a rookie. Yeah. I mean, he averaged five points. So like, <laughs> let's settle down, Tybo Cephalosha Jr. Well, no, it's um, Andre Roberson Jr. Yeah, or Andre Roberson. Your second favourite player. My second favourite player. Behind ever. Bobby Portis. And then you mentioned Zaire Smith. We haven't seen him play. So he missed his whole, he missed his whole rookie season. I think he played six games as a rookie. And then I don't know how many games he played this season, but, you know, almost none mm. so he's a nothing on that rookie contract like he, he, he can't, he's not even a contributor yeah. I think he's spent most of the year in the J League so this team's already stretched thin and then you add the fact that you know Horford's contract is so big and no one's going to take it I think mm. the answer to the question is yes they will be keeping his they will be keeping him around and his inability to gel with the team um, has nothing you know nothing to do with that 
I think but, they're just stuck financially. But shh, nobody tell Colch Kings they're selling, all, they're selling a lot of sixes, jerseys, with them <laughs> and hats. Uh, <coughs> the baseball caps that are like camo with an all-white 76ers logo. No, thank you. <laughs> Final question here from Natalie is, who do we think are three players that have enormous talent on their own, but... Yeah, but not in their own team and situation. Uh, citing Ben Simmons in, in Philly at the moment. Um, I'm just going to roll off my three names. I've got Jalen Brown, Maxi Kleber, and Monty Morris. Maxi Kleber? Yeah, man. He okay. was like the supreme role player in Dallas. Maxi Kleber had one of the highest block rates in the league. <laughs> <laughs> you're, laughing, you're laughing too much. Anyway, let's move on to a uh, friend of the podcast, Sean Conlon, asking a very serious question here. Uh, out of all the certified goons on Warriors teams of past, who is your favourite? I'll let you have a first stab at this one. All right, so for people who aren't aware what a goon is, just Google Matt Barnes. He's one <laughs> of those guys that, you know, you're one on your team, but, you know, other teams don't want to face him. Sort of like Draymond Green, but Draymond an Green... An instigator. An instigator. A hard man. An instigator that usually doesn't play very much basketball. So yeah. a goon someone... Who is that guy, like Raja Bell, but who is the guy... Maybe it is Raja Bell. But someone that you just they threw on Kobe and just said like try and punch him without getting it caught. Yeah, just someone use, like use that. up your fight. You use up your six hours. Mm. Um, so in doing a bit of research for this question, because yes, looking through the biggest goons of this Warriors team, it did take a little bit of research. Um, I've gone with David West. Yeah, David West is David late career. David <laughs> West is big goon energy because like. He was obviously aging like everyone does. Father Time's undefeated. But as he got older, his muscles seemed to get bigger and bigger. Just yeah, like old Horace, man strength. Just like Horace Grant in The Last Dance. Like, mm. that dude is a chonker. <laughs> and Matt Barnes just... Sorry, uh, David West just looks fucking deadly. Like, with a little goatee, complete yeah. shaved head. Yeah. Also, he was good at basketball. The 18-foot assassin. 18-foot assassin. But he would just come down. He would post you up and then just throw behind the back pass. And you're like, oh, fuck. Like... Not only did I just get bullied by this guy as I tried to pick a fight with Draymond, he just actually beat me in basketball. Um, but yeah, so just before we go to you, I found an article from Bleacher Report in 2012 that went through the biggest goons in the league at the moment. And the topic came about after Jason Smith, that's New Orleans uh, Hornets, white big man, sharp shooter. Big man, sharp, oh, he's a shooter. <laughs> um, Jason Smith, quote, bodied Blake Griffin, got a two-game suspension. The list went Matt Barnes, of course, Jason Smith, he was just talked about, Meta World Peace, duh, Deshaun Stevenson, and third name, which I did not expect this at all, but Aaron Aflalo. Really? Yeah. Aaron Aflalo's not a goon. He's not a goon at all. Yeah. Yeah. There's a smooth 15 point per game score in his prime. Exactly. He's one of those guys that you don't want on your team. Yeah. And not because he's a bad guy, just because he's like, oh, fuck, all right, yeah, shoot, shoot seven threes or whatever. Just, yeah. Psh- <laughs> Who's your biggest goon from these Warriors my, teams? My biggest goon isn't as much of a goon as David West. He's more of like a lovable goon. It's Mo Spates. Yeah. Mo Buckets. I really wanted Mo Spates. Because he just played 14 minutes a game. <laughs> he averaged eight points. He just come in and all of a sudden the offense is running through him. And he just shoot a bunch of pick and pop jumpers. And then on defense, he was not afraid <laughs> to throw his considerable girth around. And if you were just happened to be standing in the wrong spot or trying to cut past him, like you might fall victim to an outstretched hip yeah. or maybe he really, really wanted that rebound and your face just happened to get in the way of his elbow. 
you know, it was never malicious. It was never like out and out, but like Mo Buckets, a, a sneaky, jovial goon. Yeah, sometimes it was like that. And he had that Robert thing. He had that thing on his head that yeah, whenever that he, yeah, whenever he was, <laughs> whenever he was getting hot on on ESPN, and it's like it, he, he looks made, like an orange. He hits a um, <laughs> he hits a jumper, and it sends it. You know, they go to a media timeout, and then it's like as it like zooms zooms out and you just get the over the overhead shot of his head with the, the yeah, fucking yeah. mole on it that growth <laughs> Mo um, Bucket's very very dear to my heart my favourite Mo Bucket's memory is he's playing against DeMarcus Cousins in the game uh, that wasn't Clay Thompson's 37 point quarter but the game afterwards and he was just getting a bit touchy-feely with Marcus Cousins, a guy that he can obviously piss off quite easily. He was doing his little up to his little goon tricks. Mm. And Marcus was like, you're not calling these fouls, ref, you're not calling these fouls. And he got really pissed off. And then him, yeah, there must have been a foul on him on the other end. And then the next play down, Demarcus just like stares at the ref and just like freezes. And the ref's like, well, I'm passing the ball in, so fucking guard your guy, stop talking to me. And he goes, nah, I'm just going to keep talking to you. So then Steph's got the ball and <laughs> Murray Buckets has no player guarding him. He's completely by himself. DeMarcus Cousins talking to the ref, and he sits atop the key and <laughs> catches the mid-range jumper <laughs> and makes it. So you've got no player on you, and you take open, a mid-range jumper. An open lane. An yeah. open lane, and yeah. he took a mid-range jumper. That sounds, sounds very... <laughs> that's very Maurice Spates. <laughs> Love that. Um, next question, Dante. So next question is from Claire Wingrove, who asks... <coughs> Uh, do we have any tips on choosing an NBA team to follow? Wholesome question. Very wholesome question from Claire. Uh, you go first. So my my tips will be anecdotal, and I'll talk about uh, I'll talk about my three favorite teams, and sort of why I decided to follow them. The first and my my first and my greatest sporting love um, is Chelsea Football Club. And I chose them because I like the uniforms. The Phoenix Suns, I chose them because A, I like the uniforms, and B, I watched ESPN highlights of Steve Nash when I was like 10. And yeah. I was like, this guy is a white guy with long hair and he passes. I like it. And then my third team, the Carolina Panthers in the NFL, I they were really bad one year. I had the number one overall pick, drafted a quarterback. I was just getting into the league. Again, I like the color scheme. That's really clear. That's really important. You've got to like the color scheme. Got to be. Would you buy a jersey? Yeah. Mm. I hate the color red. Houston Rockets off the table. Mm. Off the table. Anyway, um, the color. Yeah. So the color scheme is really important. And also, in the case of like a talent, the Carolina Panthers, it can be really tempting to get on board at the ground level of a rebuild, mm. a rebuilding project where a team that you like, they're young, up and coming, and you feel like maybe they'll be good in a couple of years. In 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 that example, Carolina it worked because four years later they're in the Super Bowl and the quarterback, Cam Newton, who they drafted, when I started following, he wins the MVP. Yeah. So as a fan, you're like, oh my God, this is the greatest. Yeah. But for every me with Carolina, there's a friend <laughs> of the pod, Aless, who back in 2010 decided he was a Sacramento Kings fan for mm. the same reasons because they were young they had one of the best young players in the game Tyreek Evans who we talked about on <laughs> last week's pod and it didn't quite work out and 10 years later the Kings haven't made the playoffs so <laughs> one one thing that I would caution against Claire is just picking any young team because you think they're on the rise and saying I'm going to get in on the ground floor and, and follow this up because it doesn't always work out what do you think Sean? well you went much more in depth than me my tip was pick the team that's about to 
explode, sign Kevin Durant and just win 73 games and make five of the next five finals. I went for the Golden State Warriors in 2012, uh, just after they beat the Denver Nuggets in the first round of the playoffs and thought, yeah, Kevin Durant's going to go there. 73 wins, it's a shoe-in. Like, may as well be a fan. So that's my first tip, but I really agree with your colour scheme thing. So um, second tip is whenever people ask me who they should go for, and I think like two or three people have asked me in the last couple of months, and the first thing I say is go for Miami. I tell everybody to mm, go for Miami. Because of, of the Miami Vice colour scheme? No. Um, just the just black, be, red and white? Because of Pat Riley. Yeah. Because while you're going for them, they're always going to win, be interesting, have someone like... Derek Jones Jr. or Bam Adebayo. They've got a good coach. Yes, they've got really, really cool jerseys. I think they're like normal jerseys are cool. Yeah. But the Miami Vice definitely helps that. And when they wear their retro jerseys with the, like the stroke around the heat, that's yeah. pretty cool. Um, reminds me of Bimbo Coles. Who's that? He's a point guard from the 90s with uh, Miami. And he was like, when they were bad, just had that really cool jersey. <laughs> Bimbo fucking Coles. Um, yeah, so go for Miami. That's my tip. That's a good tip. That is a the good team tip, that, man. The team that's won yeah, two of the last 10 championships and like and three of the last 20. It's not bad. most of the last three agencies and yeah. they draft well. Yeah, that is pretty good. That's a pretty it's good like tip. It's like the anti-Kings. Yeah, they are, they, they are the anti-Kings. <laughs> I, didn't, yeah, I didn't mean to turn this into like a, a little Sacramento shade segment, but, you know, most, it has to be done. Most of our podcasts do end up being yeah. Sacramento the King, shade. The Kings did this, not me. All right, we have... Two more questions to go. Dante, give us the first one. This is uh, a question from Adam Johnson. <laughs> if you could change one NBA contract to whatever you wanted with no consequences, so it's kind of like an amnesty, which contract would you change and why? The example that Adam gives is that you could change John Wall's Supermax contract to like a three-year, $15 million deal instead. So it's almost like an amnesty, but instead of waiving the player, you... Um, you just like change their contract to something a bit more reasonable. Who uh, who's your guy? So I've gone with Steph Curry down from around forty million a year to the minimum. Yeah, I think that's you know taking a bit of the taking a bit of a piss with the question here from Adam. Yeah, but my realistic obviously you know you know the you reasons can, why I yeah, would do that. Yeah, but my course. realistic scenario would be for Al Horford just to go down a yeah. fraction of his contract for everything we spoke about before. If you can make Al Horford on ten million a year, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I've written here minimum again, but yes, yeah. if you could make a whole Yeah, I mean, you don't want to abuse the rule. <laughs> don't want to abuse this power I've just been given. Yeah. But yeah, you if you can pay El pay Horford for the production that he's giving, mm. and without yeah. a max, there's no pressure for him to fit in a square peg as a Yeah, circle. exactly. Yeah. You can just kind of, he can just be your backup big man. Yeah. And, there's, there's, and yeah, you can exactly. be good at it. Yeah, you can say like, look, you're the new Kyle Quinn, like, good on you. Yeah. There's no, there's no pressure to force him into this weird three big lineups. So yeah. what's yours? So I couldn't pick, um, but both of mine are on the same team. I've got two guys. They're both on the same team. So um, it would either be Dame Lillard or CJ McCollum. Okay. So CJ is earning 27 this year and Dame's earning 29. I really, really want to see what like a properly built team around Dame could look like. Yeah. Like imagine if they got wings better than Alpha Rukamino and Mo Harkless. And Rodney Hood. And Rodney Like imagine if they just put, you know, like a decent... If, imagine if they drafted a decent role player because obviously CJ and Nurkic are great, 
you know, like second and third bananas. Yeah. But the 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 rest of the talent on the roster has been like consistently pretty fucking bad. Yeah. So if you could like cut CJ from twenty seven, say like down to ten, then that opens up another like maybe two big contracts, like big role player contracts that you could sign with yeah. free agency or whatever. Um, same with Dame, like, you know, it's, it's really an either or if you could bring those contracts down from like, you know, close to 30 to like 10 or 12, then that would open up a whole bunch of flexibility for them to kind of go out and get somebody better, mm. you know? Mm. Like imagine if this team had like, you know, prime healthy Trevor Reza. Yeah. Prime Trevor Reza, like a healthy Robert Covington or like, yeah. you know, like, like if Rodney Hood was actually, you know, like fucking good. Like a a wing who can like run run you know like a, a second a second yeah. in offense like Lou Williams off the bench or something yeah exactly like that I just feel like we're getting dangerously close to seeing Dame run out his career without ever having had like a proper team built around him yeah. and I just want to see I don't know if it's true I don't even know what I think but I want to see if Dame is one of these guys who can kind of like get a properly built team over the line or if he's destined to just be like a second level star well yeah it's sort of looking that way because him and CJ are getting paid a lot of money and yes they're good together but and they made the Western Conference Finals with a huge asterisk because they didn't have to face one of the best teams until the actual Western Conference Finals but yeah like remember when after LaMarcus Aldridge went to the Spurs Portland was supposed to rebuild like Dame was committed to a tank and then because he's so good, he just rose the stock of all the guys around him. Yeah. And, like, you know, Portland did the right thing. They surrounded their young player with young talent. The young talent was just better and everyone grew. Mm. And then they're, they're back on the treadmill of mediocrity. Yeah. Like, they tried to get a high pick to draft another Trevor Razor or someone like that. Yeah. But they sort of shot themselves in the foot by having a good player, which you can't blame them for. That's, why would you trade Dame? So, mm. But that's the, that's the key. So the key is recognising that you have a great player and so you shouldn't commit to a rebuild and you should try and go all in. But then being good enough to go, as a GM, being good enough to go all in on the right players yeah. and pick the right guys. I just want to say, like, can Dame be like Isaiah Thomas? Is Dame, like, that level of, of calibre point guard? Like, is Dame, like in the conversation to be a top 10 point guard of all time. Yeah. Like if in the next couple of years he can get a team, a chip, like does it change the way we think about him? Or, yeah. or you know, is he going to be a dude who in 20 years you look back and you're like, oh, like three All-NBA first team. That's pretty good. I didn't realize this guy was that good. You know, yeah. I just want to, I want him to have the best chance to succeed. Well, in the same vein, because he's such a nice guy and he's done everything right in terms of sticking to the one team, being a good guy, having great playoff moments and not just being great a good guy. Great playoff moments. Just being a good guy. No one's ever going to say, oh, he was never good enough. It's just like... Yeah, but I he, just don't want He's on his own treadmill of Hall of Fame awkwardy. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. He's no, never going to be a top... Well, maybe not top 10. He's never going to be one of the best guards. He's never going to be one of the worst. He'll still be in the Hall of Fame. He'll still have all these accolades, but yeah. no one's going to take him seriously because he might not have made the finals. Yeah. Yeah, poor Dan. All right, last question here from Andy is, who is the greatest coach ever and why is it Greg Popovich? Something we found difficult to do uh, when we did our last awards pod was pick a coach of the year. I mean, I, I at least found it difficult because throughout every season, there's always there's always coaches like you've got Mike Budenholzer who's on the best team 
you've got you know in the past you've had Steve Kerr where he's the best coach on the best team you've had coaches like Nick Nurse who are finding efficient players and Terence Davis and Chris Boucher and just running exciting stuff really wacky weird stuff boxing one etc or you've got someone like um, Eric Spolster in Miami where he can nurture the growth of Bam he can also nurture the egos of the older players like uh, Jimmy Butler but then they can also bring up all those guys in the background like Derek Jones Jr. and Tyler Hero is going to have a good rookie season. So it's like you've always got these arguments for each of these different coaches throughout the season. You usually default to give it to the winningest coach because they, you know, you're never going to have a team that wins 70 games or 65 games with a bad coach and a bad philosophy. Um, so when it comes down to all time, you've got all these arguments extrapolated out forever. And all these guys, you've got, instead of just one Greg Popovich and one Eric Spolstra, you've got 50 in each different camp. I mean, I would say yes, just give it to Greg Popovich just because of the sheer sustained excellence. And he's done all this for so long and the playoff streak and the 50-game win streak, titles across multiple eras. But also, I'm happy to give it to anybody else, but obviously not anybody else, but any other deserving candidate because there are so many deserving. But I'm just going to say yep. It is Greg Popovich. Greg Popovich, I think, is at worst second, but yeah. I think it's I think Phil Jackson's the best because yeah. Greg Popovich won five. The, I think the 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 argument for Greg Popovich and for that this anyone who believes that the Spurs are like one of the best dynasties ever is you're like, well, like they didn't win five, they didn't win three in five years. You know, they won five in twenty years, but they were good from nineteen ninety nine mm. to you know twenty nineteen. Like yeah. they had so many different iterations and eras. Mm. They you know like they were um, challenging. You know, like winning the NBA. You know, like so they won the the title when like Shaq was you know like the best player and Kobe was young, and then they're winning it. You know, fifteen years later when they're versing LeBron yeah. and like Shaq's retired and Kobe's on his way out, and you know like, just yeah. that longevity. But that all happened over a fifteen year period where they won their chips. They haven't obviously won since twenty fourteen against the Heat, but they were you know good for another four or five years after that. So let's just call it twenty. Let's just say twenty years. Mm-hmm. There was one point in time where Phil Jackson, as a head coach, had won nine of the previous 11 NBA championships Mm. with two different teams. So I think that's pretty unimpeachable. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, you know, he had that second act to his career um, with the Lakers where he won um, back-to-back in 09 and 10. So you're looking now at Phil Jackson's um, you know, head coaching record in in comparison of twenty years from nine, you know, nineteen ninety, when he nineteen ninety one when he won his first, to you know, um, two thousand and ten when he won his last. Mm. It's the same time frame except he won double the amount of championships as Greg Popovich, mm-hmm. and Matt, you know, like uh, definitely something that's been explored in the Last Dance is the idea that in the nineties, especially the second half of the nineties, the NBA was watered down. So it was easier for a combination of like, you know, great coach and two great players to win a championship. It was more likely that they would. So maybe you, um, you know, maybe like you take that with a grain of salt, but then like the teams that they were going against in 2009, 2010, you're talking about like, you know, the the primes of some really fucking great players, especially out in the West where the Lakers mm. were. So anyway, I think it's Phil Jackson, but Greg Popovich is a worthy second place. Yeah. Just like Kyrie Irving on who he wants to be, he's coaching. You can flip a coin every morning. 
I'm happy to concede that. Uh, yeah, well, that is that is all the questions from all our wonderful listeners. So thank you to everyone who took the time to ask a question. Uh, it means a lot, and thank you for listening to this episode. Absolute cheers, cousins. <laughs>